From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast, season 12. Hello, everybody. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. I help startups stand apart from their competition and stand out to their audience with storytelling, messaging, and pitches that perform. In this podcast, you'll hear my conversations with startup leaders from around the globe as they share a slice of their company's story, stories on growth, scale, successes, and failures, all to help you and your company grow up and ultimately stand out. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to invite you to join the email newsletter that doesn't suck. That's right, if you head to startuphypeman.com and enter your email address, first you'll get my free SaaS masterclass, but you'll also get updates whenever you release new episodes, plus my storytelling tips and advice periodically throughout the month, and helpful resources from Startup Hype Man partners. It's the newsletter that doesn't suck, available at startuphypeman.com. All right, speaking of things that don't suck, let's begin today's episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone from Anoka, Minnesota, and currently residing in Chicago, Illinois. She returns to the show as a second-time guest. She is the founder of A Sweat Life and CEO. Please welcome Gina Anderson Cohen! Oh, dear. <laughs> I don't want to enter any room with uh, an introduction that's anything less of that from now on. <laughs> Well, I have, to, I have to do my job as the hype man here. Ladies and gentlemen, mm -hmm. we've got Gina Anderson Cohen, CEO and founder of A Sweat Life, joining us today. A Sweat Life was founded in 2012. It has been profitable now for three years. What is A Sweat Life? Well, they are essentially a community of individuals combined with a media company that brings the idea of sweat to the everyday business professional and just the everyday person as well um, through events called Sweat Working, which can probably figure out what that is, uh, networking via fitness, as well as a great content platform on a sweatlife.com. They get over 100,000 unique monthly visitors on the site. They've got 700 sweatworking ambassadors out in the field. They are now pushing year number eight, if you can believe that, as we are now in 2020. Yes. Gina, I guess the first thing I'll say is happy new year. Happy new year, Raj. Now, all of that said, um, today our topic is people-driven selling. Can you just give a quick abstract on why this is on your mind, why this is important to you? Yeah, I, I think people-driven selling is, is something that's become really important to me as a leader uh, because a, a lot of my job at A Sweat Life now um, is, is to make sure we make revenue numbers. Um, so I, I used to have a, a super hard time selling it was a meant I wasn't a sales person I wasn't in sales I wrote um, but but sort of as I evolved I came to realize that sales were everything every interaction was sales and it was so important for us in our business um, so I, I looked at it in two ways I needed um, something to empower me and to make me excited to sell and that was people um, and that existed in, in sort of two directions. So having humans that I provided for, um, our employees, um, made it imminently important to sell and make revenue because I had to make payroll. And then the other side of it was, um, a sweat life believes that everything is better with friends and that 
goes from head to toe in every interaction. Um, so that also extends to our, our business development relationships, our, our sales relationships. So we have good friends who also write checks for us um, doing, <laughs> doing business with them. And, and we also choose not to do business with people who we don't want to hang out with. Um, so it, it's, it's really multidirectional. We're going to dive all into that in just a second. Before we do, I want to just take a step back here and let's learn a little bit more about you. Now, you were actually a guest on this show back in 2015, I believe it was, or maybe early 2016. And that was when I was running my first business. This podcast had a different mm -hmm. name. It had a co-host. Oh, boy. And you remember that was me, you, and Martin. We sat down because we all can be working at WeWork together at that point. And the topic we covered at that point was on imposter syndrome. And mm. so that was what sweat life was two and a half, three years old at that point. Baby. So in the time since, do you feel like, and by the way, if anyone, for anyone listening, like you can go all the way back in the episode archives. This would have been like, I don't know, a hundred episodes ago when Gina was on. So if you want to go listen to that, you can listen to us in a loud, in a loud WeWork conference room. <laughs> I'm just trying to get a word in edgewise and it's all the noise there. So um, in the time since, do you feel like the imposter syndrome has grown? Has it gone away? Has it stayed the same? Oh dear. Um, that's so interesting to look back on that because co my confidence has grown immensely in that time, but it was sort of baptism by fire. Um, <laughs> you, you better get confident and get confident quickly. Um, and I, I was thinking about that episode the other day because I was like, I don't know if I would even talk about that as a, a topic anymore because I know that it's real and I know that everyone deals with it. Um, but short answer, um, it's gotten a ton better. Um, and I, I think a lot of that had to do with walking into conference rooms time and time again um, and, and pitching a business to uh, predominantly men. Uh, as, as well as um, interviewing some famous people. You, you come to just realize that people are people um, and they have biases before you get there. You can't do anything about that. All you can do is your very best um, and be the most prepared you possibly can. Um, and you have to just knock those imposter syndrome thoughts out of your head, get some therapy if you need to, talk to <laughs> a friend, uh, find somebody um, to sort of talk through this stuff with because it, it's just people are people, um, do your best. Yeah. Well, you talked about how you walked into rooms where you're having to pitch the business a lot, especially yeah. predominantly men. A sweat life has gone through some transition over the last few sure years. Um, it is. It started out as an event company, and then the media, uh, the media branch came into it. Now it's like predominantly media with events, and then in the in between, it became a technology company. You had a sweat working app. Can you just sort of walk us through? What happened there? Like, why did you decide, hey, let's build an app and then why the pivot towards it and why now the pivot away from it? Yeah. So we actually, we started as a media company first and foremost, and the events followed that. Um, and I'll talk you, I'll talk you through the, the lifespan. Why not? Um, yeah. So when, when a sweat life was founded, I was working a job. This was a, a complete side hustle, which side note, those used to just be called hobbies. Um, but <laughs> This was a hobby, um, and I, I was writing about workouts that I, I tried and loved. Um, that was just the very basic concept behind it, and what I found was that people were reading it, um, which is delightful when you write things, uh, and they <laughs> were emailing me. Um, they were going to the, the contact me, very simple contact me um, tab on that WordPress dot a 
sweatlife.com blog. Um, and oh, you didn't have the full what, domain yet? It was just no. WordPress dot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I got it quickly, quickly. Um, but early on I was sure. like, I don't know what's domain mapping. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, uh, I started getting emails from people who said some version of the following, which is, I can't believe you were brave enough to try this workout by yourself. Um, and it was over and over again because trying new things as adults, it's very hard. Mm-hmm. We get into patterns and habits and doing the same thing because that's, that's what we're sort of trained to do. You get on a path, you create routines and that makes life livable, uh, but it doesn't make life interesting. Uh, and so we started hosting events right around a year and a half into our, our lifespan, very simple events, bringing people into gyms to try those gyms and to make friends. Um, because we also found that adult humans have a tough time making new friends. Uh, because most of us don't feel empowered um, if you've ever been to a networking event, you can absolutely understand this, but you don't feel empowered to walk up to anyone um, and just say, hi, my name is Gina. Let's be friends. Uh, it's often like, hi, my name is Gina. What are you here for? Um, yeah. it's, it's often like tagged with professional context instead of a friendship. But we believe that friendship, friendship should come first and that will empower you to build all the other important relationships in your life. Anyway, so started hosting events, wrapped and rolled that way. That was our first revenue source, uh, built the company around that. And about two years ago, um, we started a separate arm, um, a different company. It was the, the sweat working app. Started that with um, three other co-founders, one of whom is my husband. Uh, and we built a company um, that was originally meant to be uh, video on-demand content. Um, for your favorite trainers, realized really quickly that our our sort of contacts and strong suit was in the yes we had a ton of trainer contacts, but our point of differentiation was that we had a lot of gym contact too. Mm-hmm. So we started building tools for gyms and studios to create on demand content as a part of their membership, and realized really quickly that we were onto something, and we um, we found ourselves with some great clients uh, like the Barcode, which is a national franchisor. Um, as well as East Bank Club and a, a few others. Um, and those, those relationships, those B2B2C relationships were really exciting um, for us and for investors. But um, I believe we were a little too early. Um, a lot of gyms and studios are still trying to figure out video on demand. Um, if, you, if you look in this space, though, it is coming. Uh, video on demand is, is going to be a part of your membership. I firmly believe that. I think someone will take the model um, that we created and, and do it successfully. However, um, we, we were fundraising and just ran out of, out of runway. Um, and at that point, it was sort of, it was a decision. Do we want to self-fund until we can go back out um, and, get, and get a larger round? Um, or do we want to sort of cut our losses at this point? Um, and walk away from this, knowing that we did our absolute best um, to build what we built. And we decided ultimately um, to wind it down and to walk away, which was an extremely difficult decision. But like all hard things, it is easier once you decide to do it. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, and I think with that, you 
you have to, you made a smart choice there, or I mean, you know, history will say, you know, you look back, you made a smart choice there. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But it takes a lot of, I don't know if if like pride swallowing is the right word, but because you put, you invest so much of your time, your energy, your, your resources, right. Not just yourself, but like your team is working on it. And then to be like, Hey, we're going to shut this down. It takes a lot. And I'm sure, you know, and you told me before we started recording, like you always have this like optimist viewpoint on everything, but I'm sure there's some like, there's a, there's a lot of, um, I don't know, like, oh, darkness is the right word, but with what- That's in- exactly the word I was thinking. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, darkness is the right word. Darkness is the right word. And, it, and it, I'm sure you've heard this talking to founders, and you know this as a founder, um, that the highs are highs and the, the lows are low. Um, so when you go through the, the ultimate, what, what can be viewed as the ultimate low of shutting down a company- trust me, you'll be fine. Um, but yeah. when, when you go through that, the before, um, as you are deciding to do it or as the decisions being made for you by the market, um, yeah. it, it's dark, it's dark, especially when you're a proud human who like, like I am, who prides oneself on, on working hard and accomplishing the things you set up to accomplish. Right. But when you start taking outside money, um, it, it's a lot harder to sort of accomplish those things without that, that outside capital. Right, right. Well, I mean, I went through it myself with my first business, Idea Lemon, where you kind of just worry about like your identity what is people think? that. Yeah, people know you for that thing, yeah. and those are. And it, it, in retrospect, it's like no one cares, and no one's paying that close attention. But yeah. you can't see that in the moment. <laughs> right, and and I have to say that the the response from both the entrepreneurial community, our partners. Um, it was so empathetic that you can often go into a situation like that, feeling like you're letting everyone down. And that's absolutely how I felt that a great fear of mine is letting people down. Um, but going in, but going into those conversations, I was, I was terribly worried about the, the state of those relationships. And what we came to find was that everyone was so incredibly empathetic because they all were entrepreneurs too. Um, they all understood that it's, it's a, a leap. Um, it's a risk you take. Things work and things don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so we had, we ha- <laughs> we had a lot of conversations that ended with me saying, like, "Thank you so much for for being um, this kind of human and and understanding in this way." I think that's a great segue then into today's topic, which is people driven selling. Now, mm-hmm. when you when you mentioned people-driven selling, the first word you started talking about was this idea of relationships. And I think what's mm-hmm. really interesting is you view... So so in a Sweat Life's case, the, the product you're selling more or less is sponsorships, right? For the plat- for the media and for the events. Yeah. Um, we, we try to create uh, an enveloping approach to our community because we have... Yes, we have the online content. We have email newsletters. Uh, we have social media, but then we also offer sort of community um, insertions as well um, sure. with our ambassadors. So long answer, uh-huh. Yeah, but, <laughs> but even your response to that, I think kind of speaks to the point that you're making about this idea of relationships because like, you, you kind of shied away from saying sponsors and you brought up what else it is. And mm-hmm. on top of that, you about, I don't know, if we rewind two minutes, you said, you talked about them as your partners, not your yeah. customers, not your sponsors. So talk through this time, this type of mindset of like, why do you view them as partners versus anything else? I view them as partners um, for, for a lot of the reason we're able to be successful with our partners and, and have them come back. 
is because our team's mindset is what is understanding their goals and achieving those goals that are shared together. Um, so we never go into a relationship just sort of saying, this is what we're selling. Are you buying it or not? <laughs> it's what are, talk to us about what your goals are, which is just sales 101, but mm -hmm. talk us through what your goals are and then actually going all in on accomplishing those things. Um, so if a partner is trying to promote a specific beverage or food, uh, we try to make it ever present in, in our lives and also a part of our ethos. Um, so Cliff Bar, for example, we could just uh, create a relationship with Cliff Bar by throwing bars at everyone. Um, but they told us that their goal was to take people out into nature and to see the ideas of adventure um, ar around their brand. So together with that shared goal in mind, we created an adventure series uh, where we take adults um, and put them on a bus and bring them out into nature. Um, and, and that sort of helps and illustrates um, how we work with our partners to unify around our, our shared goals. So much of that is really investing in what's going to provide value to them, right? Which is really what's, mm -hmm. what sales should be about, right? Like how do you generate value for the other person, yep. for, the, for the other entity? Now, in, the, in a case like what you just presented there, it's a little bit different than, you know, if you're selling a, a piece of software that a person immediately knows like, hey, I use this, I get this result, right? Yeah. So how, how do you broach that conversation around like, you know, we know these are your goals. We're going to put you on, you know, this type of platform, but results may vary, right? Yeah. Well, I also, even in those relationships, I, so I'm on the receiving end of a lot of, a lot of software pitches and I talk to salespeople for that. And, and I think the most successful pitches are, are coming from folks who sell with empathy, which I think starts with understanding your shared goals. So I've, I've seen, and, and that's also what we did with this what working platform. We tried to understand what people wanted to do with video on demand and, and work together to build that. So I, I think you can do that with software too. I know you can do that with software too. Yeah. You have to be able to understand what your, what your client, what your partner needs from you and explain to them how you can do that together, but also know that you have to walk away from, from some conversations because the, the value is not there for both of you. Um, because that person will sign a contract and be immediately mad in two months because you aren't able to deliver on your promises. Uh, and that, that doesn't bode well for you. Um, so I think it's as much about building relationships that last as it is about understanding that, that not every relationship is right. I would go so far as to say, if you're selling software and you don't have empathy, then you're doing it horribly wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you talked about this uh, potential of walking away. I want to get into that as the next part of our discussion. However, before I do, I just want to take mm -hmm. a sidebar here, let our listeners know about a new partner of the show itself here in Sales Hacker. If you are a longtime listener of this podcast and you know um, I try to feature more of the B2B startups on this show or marketplace startups like what A Sweat Life is, connecting businesses with the mm -hmm. community. And all of that to me is 
this idea of really focusing on what are the things that grow companies and sales is one aspect of growing a company. Sales Hacker is the world's smartest community for forward thinking B2B professionals. They have 135,000 members, whether you're a CEO, a head of sales, a sales rep, or anything in between. Sales Hacker helps you get better at your job with podcasts, articles, webinars, and research from actual sales experts and practitioners, including yours truly. There's no fluff there from outside content marketers. It's just the straight dope to grow your sales acumen. I love what they're doing, and I'm so excited to have them now as a partner of this podcast. You can join the Sales Hacker community for free at www.saleshacker.com. Again, you can join the Sales Hacker community for free and get access to all those articles, research, and more at saleshacker.com. Today, we've got Gina Anderson-Cohen, the CEO and founder of A Sweat Life, talking people-driven selling with us. So Gina, you mentioned before the break there that there might be times when you need to walk away. And early on in our conversation, you said there are actually situations where you're like, we should not work with a specific partner because we don't think they would be a true partner. Mm-hmm. What, do you fi- like, what do you find is your quote-unquote criteria and what are the indications in your conversations with a potential partner where you're like, this, this might not work out? I, I think when some of it's instinct and I know that's not, that's not helpful <laughs> if, if you're not someone who relies heavily on gut, but some of it is definitely instinct and, and being able to read sort of someone's culture um, and knowing if you are or not a match. Um, and some of it is also uh, aligning ahead of time. So if, if, a partner is unable to align on what the deliverables are, align on what they want to see reported, align on, on what they actually expect from you. Chances are they're going to ask for things that are wildly unexpected um, and, and ask you to jump through hoops that you, you can't really predict. So if we're, not, if we're not able to sort of get on the same page in the beginning, that is a, just a, a really good indicator that the relationship's not going to go well. Um, and if they're just looking to throw money at us, but don't understand who we, who we are, what we do, um, it's, it's going to end badly for both partners. I will say too, that it really, I can say this from personal experience with the stuff I've worked on, but then also being on the receiving end of being sold to as well. Mm-hmm. You can kind of get a handle on how that person's business is like how the seller's business is doing. Yeah. Based on their ability to like be okay with actually like telling you this isn't good, a good fit. And I don't mean that to say like, they're just like, Oh, you know, you should be honored to talk to me, that kind of thing. More like they are truly like helping you navigate a process <laughs> where they know one of the one of the very like possible realistic outcomes is we don't work together and that's okay. Yeah. And I, I think that, that one of the things I learned through fundraising is the power of FOMO. Mm. <laughs> and I actually, I learned that from someone who was, who was very close throughout the in, entire process. And that's Al Goldstein. He used to tell us um, constantly that, that FOMO is the only currency um, in fundraising that, <laughs> that uh, and it also applies to sales. So if, if your attitude is desperation, um, which is something, something you feel sometimes when you're selling, um, people will sense it and will not commit. Um, so you, you have to be able, um, to, to sort of 
sell a dream, a vision, um, something that they will miss out on. Um, whether that's a, a huge initiative you have coming up for your company, whether that's software that'll change their life. Um, it's, it's something that they should jump on because they, they need to be a part of it. Um, and, and desperation is the opposite of that. You can smell desperation from a mile away I know. and it does not I smell know. good. <laughs> I know. I know. And I think a lot of that is lack of respect for the buying process. Like people mm-hmm. tend to get really good at their own selling process. Mm-hmm. But I think, and, and this is just a trend I now start, I'm seeing now in B2B um, that I hope continues moving forward is more and more respect for the buying process and understanding how that actually fits within and matches with a sales process. I, I, I think sales trainers are, are oftentimes really good at teaching people how to sell but it often lacks the context of how do people buy. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that you see incentives sort of shift too, especially with larger companies. Um, because the, the goals used to be so lofty and quarterly based, but a, a B2B sales cycle is just shorter. <laughs> so, or I'm right. sorry, a, a B2B sales cycle is just longer right. um, because your, your business is making decisions for your business. Um, so the, the decision time to, to buy software, to buy anything that changes or that you'll have to go through to implement, it's just going to take a while because you have to consider a number of factors. Uh, I, I, I do think a lot of companies are evolving, though, the bigger ones. You mentioned before that you're selling a vision, ultimately, right? So when you talk with, when, when a sweat life talks with partners, you're selling a vision. However, you also need to like they also need to get clear on what exactly they're buying, like you said, so expectations align, and then there is you know they're not at asking for things that are totally out of scope, and they mm-hmm. know what's actually happening. So what's your approach to being able to sell a big picture vision while also getting alignment on this is the exact tactical, like tangible thing you're getting? Yeah, so generally, what we do is we lead with planning. Um, at a sweat life. And what, what I mean by that is we'll plan sort of our major initiatives for the entire year um, in, in Q3 or Q4, um, usually late Q3. And then we'll start talking to our partners about it. And this is very similar to how a lot of, a lot of media companies do things uh, where you, you plan and then sell upfronts um, in, in what you're doing. So we'll, we'll plan and then we'll share the vision for the plan with our partners um, and then we'll align on where their goals fit in that, in that plan and that vision. So a, a thing that we are able to do because we plan early on is we can say what the vision is and then bring it to life. Um, so a good example of that is uh, our upcoming sweatworking summit. Um, so a lot of our partners have been with us for a while. They've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of events uh, happen with us. They've been a part of sweat working week, which is a week like restaurant week for fitness and have sponsored that. And this is new. This is totally new what we're doing. Um, so as we're pitching that to them, we tell them something familiar. So you've seen us create sweat working week. We're taking the best of that and we're packing it into a weekend long summit where you'll find speakers, inspiration, accountability, um, and of course, sweat to help people plan and stay accountable and achieve big goals. Uh, and that's something that you can sort of draw a picture of in your brain. Uh, and then we ask them what their goals are and how that, that fits into ours. And we build something around that. So it, it just takes early planning 
it takes having creative ideas or someone on your team who has creative ideas and then plugging plugging your partners into those in a way that's meaningful because having them just set up a table or serve beer or whatever or give things away isn't necessarily going to have as big of an impact as something that's memorable something that has media attached to it something that has uh, the impact of video and, and photo assets afterwards just it just takes planning and preparation We've talked about to this point the idea of people-driven selling in a B2B context when you're going mm -hmm. to partners. And you've got, you know, you've had pretty high-profile partners over the years. Like, you know, I've been to some of your events that like, like Michelob Ultra or Michelob Light was sponsoring, right? Like, it's not like, Ultra, not yeah. just, you know, or Ultra, yeah. Like, we're not just talking, look, there you go. Like, like making sure you're representing them well <laughs> with the right name. Um, you know, it's not, it's not just like, local, you know, shop down the street. These are like high profile brands that are getting in on this. So if we like that, that's one half of it. Do you see people driven selling also applying to the end consumer facing side of things? Or is that a completely different argument or conversation? I think so. Yes, we have two audiences and I, I don't know how that happened, but it definitely happened. <laughs> I think <laughs> so. so uh, we do we do sell things to readers to our community, um, and the the fact of the matter is, is we need to understand what they want and need. Um, so we're we're constantly asking them um, what they want and need because it has to it has to ladder up to their goals. Uh, I don't subscribe as much to FOMO when it comes to when it comes to our community because I think FOMO is ex exclusive, and I want to be inclusive. Mm. Um, Exclusivity is awesome for for B two B sales, um, but doesn't feel as great when you're a human being. <laughs> you're right. on the outside looking in. Uh, so so we we try to be as inclusive as possible with our messaging, with what we create, um, and make people who want that sort of community want to buy. Um, but it's it, it's funny because I look at that less as sales and and more um, as giving people opportunities to connect. Hmm. Um, because, because that's exactly what it is. Um, but I, I do think a, a newer challenge that we're, we're sort of facing and we're, um, we're exploring is, uh, a lot of our events have been lower price point over the years. Uh, and some of the, the bigger things we're doing now, um, for consumers have a higher price point. Like our summit, um, just has higher fixed costs. So the price point has to be higher. Um, and that, and that took, that took, a lot more messaging, a lot more marketing messages, uh, just just constantly reiterating the value um, because our, our consumers are value conscious um, to get them to commit. Yeah, well, and especially when a market has been more or less trained to expect one price point, mm -hmm. there has to be like over messaging if you're doing something that is significantly higher to get mm -hmm. them to see that jump, right? Yep, yep. Uh, and that it, it, it's interesting to watch too, because we have built in um, this this almost network of of people who are very honest with us that we can tap into, and that's our ambassadors. Uh, so that that community is seven hundred ish strong, um, and if we're doing something wrong <laughs> or not or not creating the right value, they'll they'll tell us um, and tend to be great stewards of our our own success um, because if if they're not if they're not excited, no one else will be. Mm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 
So, okay, let's quickly talk through that ambassador program because that's a big aspect of the company here, which is you've got 700 people out in the field who are representing a sweat life. How did you create this program and like what is their responsibility? Yeah, so ambassadors, it's almost a misnomer at this point, but when we started the ambassadorship four years ago, we're in our fourth class now, um, it was it was one of those big picture in whatever year it was, I don't feel like counting backwards, in 2016, uh, we're going to start an ambassadorship. Um, what that means, we'll figure out <laughs> along the way. So when when we started the program, that was sort of the the job of, of Maggie, who was the first full-time hire um, of a sweat life. So I, we together um, carved out the responsibilities of what the ambassadorship would be, but we didn't have a tight grip on what the, the actual program would entail because um, we've learned along the years that if we listen, the community will tell us what they want. So we created an application that first year that asked a very simple set of questions that essentially amounted to um, this answer. What would it take for you to live a better life? Uh, and then we created a program around that. It started with goal setting uh, and a number of other a, a number of other perks that brought this group together and um, created opportunities for them to stay allowed their big goals and hold each other accountable for those things. And that first year was 26 people. It was 25, but someone appealed to us very strongly to be let in and who am I to say no? Um, And then, and and it grew from there. And that first year didn't pay and still doesn't pay um, for, for membership because we didn't know what it would be. And and frankly, we didn't, we didn't want it to crash and burn. Um, wanted, and honestly, I didn't think it would ever be a paid program. Um, but after that first year, our ambassadors or a a select group of them told us that they saw so much value in it, that they would pay, um, that they would want to pay moving forward. Um, and so we decided that we would never kick ambassadors out of the program never sort of tell them okay this is over for you we're bringing on new people um because why why kick people out of something that they're still getting value from like you wouldn't see a gym say okay it's been a year get out (laughs) Uh, so we told them they were in for life and um they'd never pay dues because because of that incredible insight that they'd share with us Um, and then every year um beyond that uh, we've brought on more and more ambassadors uh doubling um, sort of that, that first year and then bringing on hundreds last year and then another couple of hundred this year. Um, and every year they've, they've paid dues and uh, have gotten incredible value from it, like those, those workshops and programs and access to each other and swag, as well as a studio of the month program that we do predominantly in Chicago, but in a few other markets too. And that provides very low cost classes um, to studios every single month. Um, so right now, for example, our ambassadors have a 10 pack of classes to a Pilates studio in Chicago and, and nationwide called Body Rock. Um, and last month they had, they had a very similar offer from a new studio in Chicago called Train Moment. So they, they see immense value. They don't have specific job responsibilities. It's, it's more of a membership than it is um, a Sing Our Praises program. But they do talk about it, um, which I, I think comes from sort of leaving loose expectations for them, telling them if, if you want to talk about us, here's how, here are the hashtags to use. 
if you want to partake in these eight things that are happening this month, do it. If you don't have time, that's okay. We're here when you do. Um, if you want to just be here for the, the perks and the, the deals, that's fine. If you're here for the connections, the relationships and the friendships, that that'll be the most worthwhile way to use this program. Uh, but we sort of see people get out of it what they put in and take from it what they have time for. Um, and the responsibilities are, are uh, um, uh, loose is the best <laughs> word to put it. <laughs> if you're keeping score at home, this is, I mean, this is a business that has to be about relationship building and people at the end of the day, because it's not just the sponsor partners and the end community mm-hmm. that you're working with. It is also the ambassadors. It is also yep. the gyms. You've got four or five uh, different sort of markets that you're having to just maintain good relationships yeah. with at any given time. So kudos to you for, for building a system that, oh, and, oh, also, and your team as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so are the kudos most to you. Important relationships, I think, the team. Yeah, and we and we didn't even get a chance to go into that. Um, a quick anecdote. I just anecdote. I just want to share here before we wrap up is and on the note of relationship building here um, for our listeners is Gina and I met. I think again in 2015. It was I think summer of 2015 or spring of 2015. I had actually stumbled across the A Sweat Life um, website and newsletter. And I think it was one of those Brave Sunday posts that you wrote. And I simply just wrote you back and I was like, hey, I agree with a lot of things you said. I just started my entrepreneurial journey as well. Um, would love to get together. And at that time, you were also um, a, you were still um, doing fitness instruction. Um, I was. And your response was like, hey, we'd love to get together. I'm teaching this class at this time. If you want to come to that, we can like hang out. We can grab a coffee afterwards. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And that in, it, in and of itself was a way to build a relationship because you kind of know if someone's going to be like, no, I would never do that, then you don't want to talk to them anyways. Like for yourself, right? Like for the life that you have and the, the network you're trying to build. If someone's going to say, no, I won't take this class and that's like a dumb idea, right? It's, it's this almost like screening process in a way. And it's actually, it's a, it's a strategy I have since borrowed on several occasions where I'm like, hey, come take this yoga class with me and then we'll talk. And if people are like, uh, that's not really my thing, I'm like, okay, well, you know, and it just gives me an idea of what that might look like long-term. But since then, like, I will always remember that that is how we met is because you were like, hey, come take my class. And you kicked my ass for 45, 50 <laughs> minutes, right? I'll never forget that. And that has always been for me, like, whether you remember it or not, I remember it. And that's been, to me, like, the, the ground of our relationship has been that, like, that was the starting point. And I always thought that was so cool and memorable at the same time. Oh, I love that. I, so I don't teach classes anymore, but I do still employ it in different ways, whether that means um, telling people that I'm going to be working at this coffee shop on Sunday. If, if you want to meet, you can come and join me there. So it's, it's sort of giving people an opportunity to meet you where you are um, and also see who you are and who they are as a result of it. But I, I did that same thing to Maggie Umberger, who <laughs> uh, was the first full-time employee at A Sweat Life and also was, uh, she started writing with A Sweat Life before she was a full-time employee. Um, and I actually, because I was doing that so frequently, I forgot that she was coming to class. <laughs> and, and, and after, 
after class, she walked up to me and she said, hi, I'm, I'm Maggie. I'm so excited to get a coffee with you. And my response was, oh yeah, (laughs) 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 that's great. Um, And we went and got coffee um, and she ended up being just a a great, a great addition to the team and, and really invaluable uh, long term, but that that started with that that same exact method and, and means of of sort of guarding and protecting my time and relationships while still allowing people to meet me where I am. Yeah. Before we wrap up, can you let our listeners know where they can find you and learn about a sweat life? Yes, find a sweat life at asweatlife.com. <clears throat> Excuse me, find a sweat life at asweatlife.com, and you can also see any of our social channels using the handle a sweat life. Um, we're everywhere except t- TikTok because that makes me anxious. Um, <laughs> and then you can find me as a human being across social media um, using my first name, J E A N A Anderson Cohen. I have two, uh, two last names, like a law firm. Um, <laughs> I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook still always and forever. To wrap up, we will each give a quick uh, summary here or, or top line takeaway for the listening audience on today's topic. The topic today was people driven selling. And my top line takeaway from this is focus on the relationship building, but understand that does not mean, you know, when people hear like, oh, build a relationship, they think, oh, that has to mean the most long term play ever. It means I just give them, give them, give them, hoping to receive at some point. Really, what it means if you're truly building a relationship with a potential customer is you work for their goals, but they also work for your goals. And you have an understanding on both sides, what you're trying to accomplish and you respect that. Gina top line, one or two takeaways on people driven selling for the audience. Oh man, that was such a good takeaway, but I I would say start with friendship. Always start with friendship. It sounds cheesy, um, but it'll enrich your life. And it will also help you build your business. So if you, if you lead with um, the idea that these contacts are friends first and foremost, uh, you'll just see incredible things come out of that. She is Gina Anderson Cohen. I have known her now for about five years. I have mad respect for her. And I always feel like when I see her doing something cool in the news or otherwise, I'm always like, I think one day I'm gonna get to say, I knew her way back when. Gina, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Rush. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can share this episode with a friend or you can leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcasts page. When you do that, it boosts us in the search results and ultimately that means more entrepreneurs will listen, which means we share the message, we spread the mission and support more entrepreneurs at the end of the day. You don't have to stop with the podcast if you want more. And if you are interested in telling your company's story better across your demo calls to investors and to any audience you seek, well then why not have a conversation with me? Head to startuphypeman.com, fill out a form there, and let's talk. If you've got recommendations for future guests for the show or you want to be a guest on the show yourself, email media at startuphypeman.com. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man, the podcast. We will see you next time. Hype Man out. Word up. Raise up. Got you howling at the moon. Yeah. This a dance with the devil, girl. Instead of sundown, too. Yeah. This a dance with the devil, girl. 
gonna do? This a dance with the devil cop. And if you can't get it loose, then they fall into the truth. It got your hell in it. Yeah. This a dance with the devil cop. Instead of selling out. Yeah. This a dance with the devil cop. Tell me what you gonna do? This a dance with the devil cop. And if you can't get it loose, then it's a dance with the devil.